Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 68. I'm Rocco, and with me this week is Ryan and Michael. And we are peasyless. <laughs> no, that He's in the chat, but he is uh, feeling a little under the weather. So we wish you all the best there, PZ, and hope you feel better soon. But stick around because we got some exciting news, and it's usually revolving around Ubuntu because this is Ubuntu week, and all of the releases have been let loose. So, oh, yeah. yeah. It's kind of Ubuntu month, really, if you're being honest. Okay. Yeah, but you know what? We do that. Like we we kind of create that because we're testing the betas and the alphas and all this other stuff. So, you know, we're going to cover the releases today uh, kind of in depth, but some of it's going to be things that you've already heard because, you know, <laughs> it's something that's saturated. So, yep, definitely. All right, so Ryan. Yeah. You know what's great, Ryan? What is great, Rocco? When you find somebody that you can actually get behind and something, somebody you actually enjoy uh, listening to and watching. And yep. as much as I love watching your videos, there's another guy that I love watching his videos. So uh, we want to talk a little bit about Artist Caleb. Yes. Yeah. This, this is a guy who's an artist. He is a developer, basically. He is developing his own game called Fallen Skies. Not to be confused with a game out there that's Falling Skies, but he is uh, developing this uh, first-person stealth horror-type story game. And he is a Twitch user and a YouTube user. And what he has a ton of yeah. gameplay walkthrough tutorials on YouTube and Twitch. And I got to say, I love watching this guy, man. He is absolutely, I would rather watch his gameplay walkthrough than actually play the game sometimes. That's how good <laughs> and fun he is to watch. He is super entertaining. Have you guys ever seen him? I actually looked up because we're going to talk about it. I looked it up um, just recently, and I was in one episode, or like one of these videos, he was doing like a like a walkthrough of a thing he just like it was like a revisiting of something he already saw, and it was uh, I don't remember the name of the, of the game, but it was um, it, it was kind of like he was going through it not only as playing a game but as a developer going through the game so he would like look at like that's a really good texture or he's like he's like you see these telephone pole, like telephone lines these are really complicated they don't seem like they're complicated but they're pretty complicated <laughs> which is cool you get that developer's perspective in there as well as you can tell this guy passionately loves games and anytime you meet somebody who's passionate about something it's infectious you know you're like you you want to jump in so definitely check out artist Caleb on Twitch and YouTube very very cool uh, individual who has a lot of fun and passion with what he does. Yep. And I've even been part of his live streams on Twitch and YouTube and great, a great guy to, to begin with. I mean, uh, I joined one day and he says, you know, Hey, thanks for reminding me that, that I got to port my game to Linux. <laughs> You're doing the good work there, Rocco, making sure. Yep. All right. So tell me what the shocking news is. The shocking news is the Ubuntu's have come out, Rocco. 
Really? Oh, really? Wow. Huh. Unless you've <laughs> no been idea. living under a rock. I mean, you've been hearing about the Ubuntu's. So what have you tried, Ryan? And, and what is your favorite one so far? Well, I've tried Kubuntu, Lubuntu, Zubuntu, <laughs> um, and Ubuntu Mate. And I love them. Uh, every one of them, first of all, hats off to the folks who have just done a tremendous job, not only at this point of release, but during the betas as well. Ubuntu Mate specifically and Kubuntu are the ones that I spent the most time with. Um, probably with Kubuntu because KDE Plasma has always been something that I was like, if they could fix the NVIDIA issues, this would be my desktop I would use. It's just, it has so many awesome customization and unique features, although hidden behind a lot of settings. Uh, but this would be the one I would use. And, they, and in Kubuntu, it is fixed. There's no more hieroglyphics or issues when you're running NVIDIA, when you're opening up menus and things, which shocked me. I didn't expect that to be happening. I expected to boot in and have the same problem I've had for years in Plasma, but it's gone. It's gone. And Mate, of course, I mean, you booted into the beta and it felt like a final product. You could just use it because it was all there and working. Yeah, the, the beta was, uh, was, was great. And then you, when you, the beta of both Ubuntu Mate and Kubuntu were so solid that when I switched to the, the, the stable ones, you really couldn't tell a difference. Uh, so <laughs> Kubuntu is, is, is fantastic. This is the best release they've ever had, in my opinion. And if you haven't tried it out, you definitely should. If you haven't tried Plasma in a long time, this is like probably the best solution as like, the first try of plasma because they've, they've fixed so many good like defaults and they've made, they've polished it up really good. So, so, so Michael, you, I mean, you did make a video for it. So let's talk about what the changes are, maybe even what you suggested to them and what they took. Okay, cool. So Ubuntu had um, like, there, there was a lot of things that, that Kubuntu was doing that I wanted to contribute to. And one of the things was, like fixing the defaults for certain things that plasma doesn't do well. And if, so the first thing that's probably the most noticeable thing, actually definitely the most noticeable thing is the theming has been changed for Kubuntu 1804. So instead of having like a bright theme for the applications and the panels and the menus and everything, mm -hmm. it's a combination hybrid approach of the applications being a light theme and like keeping the same light theme, but the, panels and menus and widgets and stuff like that becomes a dark, a dark breeze theme. So it looks like super clean and polished. And then there's also like some improvements to like the defaults, for example, like uh, switching to double click by default for new onboarding, the changing of when you open an application, there's a little icon that used to just bounce up and down. Uh, it now just shows you an icon there. looks nice. looks a little cleaner and some, something that you might like Rocco, you, you know, What's the that? whole, you know, the, uh, and one of the things that was kind of annoying about dolphin is when you wanted to show hidden files, you had to hit alt space or alt period instead of control H. Mm -hmm. Now you can control H. <laughs> nice. Isn't that, shouldn't that be the default? I mean, shouldn't that, that been the default up till now? 
perhaps perhaps it should have and that's that's why so I you're telling me before you would do control h and you wouldn't see your hidden file do nothing we do nothing wow because i just was in there obviously i was doing 18.04 doing control h the whole time because i was messing with the open and box see, you never even noticed i never yeah. noticed i was like of course it's gonna work and <laughs> had i been on a prior version it would not have so to be funny. fair their actual shortcut does kind of make sense alt period or alt dot for dot files it kind of makes sense it's just not what everyone else uses and people don't. It's not what you expect. It's reinventing right, it's the wheel. Expect. Now you can have both. If you, if you like alt, alt, alt period, it still works. It's just now you can have control H as well. Nice. Very Some nice. Nice little polishes and stuff like that. So Mate was the other one I mentioned, Rocco, that I just think we need to spend some time on because it had, of course, some of the changes with its default um, theming that you could choose there and so you're telling me that you read the manual no i will i refuse to read manuals and the fact that i'm in the release notes i think makes it extra special i think we have to highlight that um (laughs) martin was on the show last week and talked about um you know everything with ubuntu mate i hope you've seen it because it was a it was probably one of my favorite episodes of all time yeah but along with that came a little bit of ribbing from Ryan for Ryan uh, yeah. about not reading the manual. And l- if you look in the UbuntuMate.org website for the release notes, mm-hmm. and I'm going to highlight mm-hmm. it right now, you'll see Das Geek's name in there. <laughs> I think that's awesome. So, I made it into Ubuntu Mate uh, release notes. So Michael always talks about all the contributions he makes to different distros, which we applaud. And I just want to say, look at my life accomplishment here, Michael. Uh, I am in the release notes. Now, not for what you would want to be in the release notes for, but I yeah, made it there. I don't think that I would want to be in the release notes for that specific thing. But for it not was reading the manual. for not reading the manual. But it was a cool thing that he put a link to your it channel. Was so. so. Funny. He, he was very funny. He is now crowned the ultimate troll. And even Dark One, which I did a video with this week, said, I will never be able to top that. I better just stop trolling. Like nobody <laughs> can out troll. <laughs> it was the ultimate. <clears throat> well, we listed all of the features of Vate last week with the high DPI and everything. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a great release. Now, I had uh, installed it on my dad's machine the beta last week or the week before it was actually probably two or three weeks now and you know in you know easily upgraded without any problem and hasn't had an issue yet as far as i know so yep that was my experience all through the beta and that was what was shocking with both kubuntu and uh, ubuntu mate is they were betas but it didn't feel like it you could use it in fact we were doing a lot of the streams and things and recordings we were doing i was doing on an 18.04 beta which most people would be like don't ever use a beta for your primary machine but they were that stable you could use them like that which is just props to the the folks who worked on this they did such a good job uh, you know getting it out there and making it stable yep well, not to be outdone, the regular Ubuntu version, 18.04, which is what I've been running. I've been running the beta for the last, I'd say, it's, you know, you guys call me a distro hopper, but I've been running the beta for how long now? It's got to be at least a month. At 30 least days. At seven days. Yeah, man. you're not a distro hopper. You've been 30 days. You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're just as consistent as can be. So... um for those that, you know, obviously everybody knows that the Ubuntu's have released, but 
you know, for those that are coming from 1604 and you don't know what's in the new release, you have the option for the new minimal install, which I think is awesome. And that's probably yeah. what I'm going to be using consistently for any install that I do. And that what that gives you is that just basically gives you the base and something that would come with the desktop itself, not the extra programs installed. So each yeah. flavor is going to have something different, right? Yeah, the desktop and then like core utilities of the desktop and then like a browser. Right. And then it'll be separated from like each flavor might add or take away something, correct? Yeah, typically um, most of them are, most of the, the flavors are doing the minimal install, which is really cool that, that the the main Ubuntu is doing this because it offers it to all the flavors. But like that, that it's a really cool thing anyway. But the the flavor gets to choose which one, which applications are removed in their listings. Hmm. Nice. Well, there's a video over at OMG Ubuntu that Joey did, and it highlights all of the new features of 1804. And it does go through the very, uh, the base of all of them features, all of the different features that were released since 1604. So some of you may have heard, some of them you may have not, but it creates a swap file instead of a swap partition now, Michael. Why is that important? Um, swap files are way, are way much more dynamically and they're 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 easier to use and they're also more clean to to like transition from whether you're using the swap or not so for example swap partitions are mostly negative because of the the beginning when you create a swap partition you have to allocate space to it so people have to think about how much ram do i need to put to my swap partition whereas a swap file you don't have to worry about that because they're dynamically allocated so you were only going to be using the, the size of RAM or storage on your, your disk that you actually need to use. So you can just completely skip that part in the installation. So that's fantastic that they've switched to it. Nice. Brian, there is a new first run wizard to, and it's basically a welcome to Ubuntu. And like I said, this is more for people who have, you know, been on 1604. They're used to being on unity and we will say that unity's, still there as a session that you can log into if you're upgrading from 1604 to 1804 but yeah. it, it's not going to be maintained so it's probably not going to be the same exact experience you've had with unity but it's still there as a, a login but anyway going back to this welcome screen um it basically gives you a welcome to ubuntu a guide to the gnome desktop and what I thought was interesting is the option to enable the live patch to install kernel updates without rebooting. So Very nice. are we getting are we getting closer and closer to that mainstream desktop, Ryan? We may be, man. That's 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 some big enhancements there. And did we touch on all the things that happened in the GNOME 3.28 as well? The features there? Well, I don't know if we did, but go ahead. Well, we've got the new nightlight feature, which is one of those things you're like, oh, what's the big deal until you use it? And it's the greatest thing on the planet. <laughs> yeah, um, very nice. Night. That's exactly you, the thing I thought. Yes. Yeah. If you stay up late at night coding, uh, and in my case, I have kids, so I'll have a laptop, you know, uh, and a table next to the bed. And I'm trying to keep the kids from being awake from the screen, you know, being too bright or whatnot, and also get coding done or whatever I'm working on. And that nightlight is just brilliant. Plus, it reminds my brain to go to sleep at some point, which is a good thing. Um, new on-screen keyboard, which, you know, this is definitely beneficial for multiple applications, of course, including having it on any touchscreen uh, devices. But also, I, I believe I understand it helps with individuals who may have certain disabilities and other things, be able to utilize their computer 
Thunderbolt 3 support, media player controllers in the message tray, and Wacom graphics improvements. So those who use the Wacom tablets uh, obviously will be uh, find themselves a much better home here with GNOME 3.28. So very cool stuff, man. Anything that stuck out to you specifically? This, the, the snaps by default in Ubuntu is what my the most thing I'm, I'm actually f- uh, excited about. But as far as like the gnomes, I'm I'm just I admit this the nightlight is probably the my the most. <laughs> it's funny, one I'm of like. the things you wouldn't expect to yeah. be the most exciting thing. Yeah. It's 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 kind of like when they have it by default and it's so easy, you don't have to use anything like an extra package to do it. It's just it's so nice to just go and like it, like when I first thought about when people were talking about oh this is coming, I was like who who cares about the changing the colors? Uh, it is very useful. Like I, I used to like not have the ability to go to bed at a reasonable time. And now because that thing kind of like convinces you that it's time to go to bed, it's like, it's really late. Like, Oh, okay, cool. Thanks. Well, now this I, is after we just talked about both of us staying up till two in, mor- in two in the morning. So it must have not helped too much. Well, I mean, it helps most of the time. I, I ignored it. I turned it off. You still time. have to make the decision to go to bed. Okay. It doesn't yeah. make you go to bed. The nightlight makes you go to bed. Well, um, the, the, the part for me is I had to do spe- had to do graphic work. So I had to be exact color. So I had to turn it off. Maybe that was it. Oh, that was the problem. See, otherwise it would have made you go to yeah. sleep. Well, listen, Ubuntu, uh, the Ubuntus, I guess we'll call it, have done an incredible job. Everything I think most people hoped would happen in 18 did. And hats off to all of the fantastic work that they've done there. But they're not the only ones doing releases these days. There is another new release out there of a distro that, well, most people may not have heard of. Uh, called AV Linux, and it gets a new release here, 2018.4.12, which comes with some new bug fixes and software updates and firmware. But the big thing here with this particular distro is that the AV stands for audio video. So if you were to compare it to another distro out there, it would probably be the first thing might come to your mind is Ubuntu Studio, Yep, which was one of the distros that I spent a long time on early in my Linux life. And I loved Ubuntu Studio because it had all of those audio and video applications. And when you're new to Linux, you don't know what those all are. And it had all of them prepackaged and allowed me to, and plus it's XFCE, so you know. <laughs> uh, but it allowed you to, it allowed you to kind of get familiar with all the tools that are available for you that people utilize for audio video production within Linux. And so AV Linux is kind of like that. Well, not kind of, it is. It provides a bunch of pre-bundled audio and video production tools in there. So Rocco, did you give this one a try? I did not give it a try. Okay. So I'm, even though I have to deal with sound and, and everything, I am more of a, a a simple guy. I like things to be simple. So even like your, your guys tutorial, uh, you and uh, scrap jaws about switching to Jack is a little bit too much for me to do personally. And with this here, uh, if I was going to do something like that, I might end up with Ubuntu Studio. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's always nice to see options out there for people. The one thing I will say, and I'll quote from the actual website, it's intended to be a simple AV production system for a single user with some practical experience in setting things up. Okay. So it's not really intended to be a full Linux distribution in like a, a proper sense, but it's it's definitely an option to be there. So there's one guy, he, he maintains it in his spare time. So 
you know, I'm sure there will be a little bit of bumps on the road, but. Yeah, I think Zeb had tried this and I tried it as well. And there were bumps in the road, <laughs> uh, like getting it installed. Um, so there, the installer was very different than any installer I'd seen before. And it had two buttons on it, like a arrow going to the left and a recycle button to refresh the screen. And when you get to the point where you're building partitions and I could not get past that screen, two buttons, couldn't figure out what it was wanting me to do. Um, so, you know, there are some, there are some differences there. Maybe if you're more familiar with that type of installer, but I think it's a cool idea. There are a lot of people who want to do audio video production when they come over to Linux. There are a ton of tools out there that you can use that are not necessarily mainstream tools. You, you know, hear advertised on TV or something, but they are extraordinarily powerful tools that you can do professional audio video uh, production in. And what I like about these type of distributions is they introduce you to those tools that you may not otherwise have been aware of. I agree completely. I, I mean, I typically would go with the uh, with Ubuntu Studio just because of the Ubuntu base. But yeah. uh, it's always nice to have like different options so you can, you know, the, especially for the, even the developers of those distros, they can see what the other one is doing and take ideas and stuff like that. So like, I think it's great that they're doing this. I haven't tried it myself, uh, so I can't really give any specific uh, details about that case. But I do like that they're trying to do something interesting like that, like an appliance-based. Yep, I definitely think it's anytime developers take the time to make a distribution, that's great. I might suggest that they release it another time besides the <laughs> same oh. week that Ubuntu releases. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get crowded in that arena. <laughs> I mean, the, the 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 timing was not the best. They they could even, they should just skip April entirely. Just either go May or March, and otherwise, just, it's not worth it. Because as as Ryan said earlier, it's it's a bunch of month. <laughs> you're you're yeah. not you're if you try to compete, you're not gonna win. Yep. Well, going back to the Ubuntu's, uh, there we covered Mate and Kubuntu and the regular Ubuntu, but there was a couple other ones that released, including uh, Chillin and XFCE. So XFCE is not uh, a earth-shattering changes for everything in Zubuntu, but XFCE settings 4.14.2 has a preview release, mm -hmm. as well as the regular XFCE settings 4.12 stable series. But they're working on the multi-monitor support, which is something yeah. that I've been like frustrated with for a long time with Zubuntu. Zubuntu is an awesome distribution. Yes, it is. Yep. But it has an issue with multi-monitor. Have you guys experienced this or not? No. I've not had the issue. We've talked about that in the past that for whatever reason, it didn't impact my settings. And we have very similar computers, which is kind of interesting. But I don't think you're the only one on the planet that had the problem because clearly they've put this as a, a area that they're wanting to work on and improve on. So I, I love that they've spent the time to fix this because it would keep people like you, who I think would absolutely love XFCE from really get, being able to utilize it to its full potential. These type of fixes are so important uh, for adoption. I agree. And my, my experience with it is, is similar to Ronco's in that it was just not consistent. And it's not that it would do anything like wouldn't break things. It was just wasn't. It was a, the, the only consistent part about it is that it wasn't consistent. There you go. Right. But I would love to get Sean Davis back on soon yes, to talk about absolutely. the 1804 release because he was a, such an awesome guest and he does a great yeah. job on Zubuntu. So we I want to talk to him about Menu Libre as well because he makes that and it's fantastic. Yeah. 
And then the latest things they did with Ubuntu, like that, it's not a, a, like an earth shattering thing, like you said, but they're, they're doing some things that are interesting, like replacing some gnome stack applications and stuff with Mate stack. So th- that's a pretty cool approach. Yep. Yeah. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but also is uh, some interesting things that are happening in the Wayland side of the, the so ecosystem is uh, Xorg has released a release candidate number five. And what the biggest thing coming from that is that they have support that potential support for the EGL streams from NVIDIA and EGL streams are related to the generic buffer manager inside the kernel. The NVIDIA is not the type that they're typically a collaborative bunch. They, right. they sometimes provide support. They sometimes completely ignore us. Um, there's there's <laughs> all kinds of options so, from that range. But what it's doing is that the EGL streams is something that NVIDIA made. And it this having support for the EGL streams makes it possible to use X Wayland or X X apps on top of the Wayland environment or the protocol technically. Um, well, that's what I was going to ask you. What does that mean for me? you know, a regular user uh, for what does this news mean? This particular case, it means that it doesn't necessarily mean that Wayland support in NVIDIA is going to be good or improved or even possible, but it does mean that the X apps can run on Wayland. So you would have, it's it's a good step forward to the process of having Wayland support for NVIDIA, which is right. They're starting to create that that bridge. And this was the big issue with Wayland from the beginning. Everybody's so excited about it. It's been out for a while, by the way, as far as they've been working on this for a a long time. It's not like it started a year ago. And there was no bridge here that we could see being built between NVIDIA and Wayland. And so, you know, pretty much I was excited at first about Wayland. And then I was like, "Eh." if they don't get NVIDIA working, which is 78% of your user GPU base, it's basically dead on arrival. So this is a really important step to show that work is underway to at least get some compatibility, you know, started there, even though it's with just the X11 apps on Wayland. Um, But hopefully this kind of drives that bridge to continue to be built so that eventually NVIDIA works perfectly on Wayland. Now for most people right now, this is a non-issue. You probably boot into an X session and you don't even notice NVIDIA works perfectly fine. You have no issues. Most distros don't default to Wayland. And even when Ubuntu did do the default to Wayland in their 17.10 release, uh, it had auto detection to know that you had NVIDIA and put you into the X session. So for most normal people, no issue. You're not going to notice anything. This is just really showing some of the future prospects of Wayland that a lot of people are hoping will be kind of the future of uh, Linux is now getting better NVIDIA support for it to be the future of Linux. It's going to have to work with NVIDIA, yeah, it's, period. It's needed. But it also, the, the thing is, is what's really good is that NVIDIA is working on a alternative to the EGL stream structure. So this makes it so that the current structure is possible to be to using. And it also shows that the Xorg team are working with uh, in some ways to help NVIDIA work on Wayland. Um, or in the, the X Wayland shim. So like it's, it's not even, it's not even just the EGL stream saying NVIDIA is seemingly doing some work to actually support Wayland in some ways with their potential replacement of EGL streams. Uh, so we can at least have some solace that both sides are working to a solution, whatever that solution might be. There you go. 
people nice. are coming together. <laughs> coming together. So, Ryan, uh, you run Arch every now and then. A lot, yeah. Okay, well, it's if not- you're running Arch right now, you okay. could test out the new Cinnamon 3.8 desktop environment if you wanted to. So, I I mean, we're going to go through some of these uh, listings, but um, the Softpedia article pretty much says there are so many changes that it would be impossible to cover all of them. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. (laughs) All right. So you it's scheduled to go out and ship with Linux Mint 19, the Tara. But mm-hmm. if you're on Arch, you can try it right now. So it brings a ton of improvements, and a lot of them are back-end improvements. So a lot of the uh, applications or components have been ported to work with Python 3, which yeah. areas where it wasn't maybe working properly or it needed to be updated, and they and it makes it work smoother. So and Python three is a lot better. It's got better performance. It's got better support for frameworks. Like all it's, crazy, it's got to create a lot of consistency when you're if you're one of those who are helping out in the community to write to help you know develop for it. Having all this stuff ported to one kind of platform or as much of it as possible in Python three would be helpful. Uh, additionally, I like this because this is a language I'm trying to learn right now. So. Right. Maybe well, I can help. It's being ported more as it's being is ported because Python, it was using Python 2 mm-hmm. and Python 2 is deprecated. And there's so many things that about Python 2 that are, that are not good as far as like performance goes. So that the fact that they're going to Python 3 is very nice to see. Cause if, if, if the, once the whole thing is available in Python 3, then it would make it a, a lot faster and a lot, a lot easier to use. So have you guys tried cinnamon? As of lately, no. I used the I, last know, one I used, I think, was three six. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I used to run uh, Cinnamon, you know, in between. You know, I would switch all from KDE and over to Cinnamon, and Cinnamon was always like that desktop that was in the middle, where it didn't have like a billion settings, but it had a ton of settings enough to satisfy somebody mm-hmm. who wanted to tweak the desktop. Yeah, I used to use it a couple of years ago as my, my primary DE. And it, even then, it had a lot of things like the applets and the cinnamon the cinnamon spices were really nice. Yep. Well, they've revamped those in the last uh, cinnamon version. But they've also improved the sound applet for this, so it re- supports next and previous tracks. They've added support for the notification systems to be positioned at the bottom of the screen, so including mm-hmm. on multi-monitor setups like I have. So I think I need to try this out, man. Yeah, Cinnamon's always been good. There are people who give, you know, I guess it's just those folks in the Linux community that like to give things, uh, you know, a little flack. But, you know, Linux Mint and the Cinnamon desktop have always been, to me, really well done. Um, in, a, in a way, it can be boringly well done, that right. things work really, really well and you don't have to do anything. And that's what it's really meant for. A lot of new users will try out Mint as the first time. In fact, when I did a, a computer build for somebody recently, uh, this was before the new Ubuntu's released. Mint was the one I put them on because they wanted to learn Linux. And I thought, you know, it's just so stable and simple to use and very familiar to somebody coming from the Windows environment, the way the Cinnamon desktop uh, interacts. So to me, it's a it's a good starter one. It's also good for experienced people, but it's a good starter desktop as well for people to get used to if they're coming over from Windows. 
Yeah, I think Cinnamon's a nice uh, polished dis- uh, DE that provides uh, you know a nice a nice performance as far as like overall, but also um, ease of use and familiarity for people who are just trying to trying out Linux. Yep. Yeah. Well, this next one, guys, is going to have you so excited. You are going to do backflips. I guarantee it. Everyone, really? you backflips. Really? Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever done a backflip, Rocco, in your life? Uh, no, never. Yeah. <laughs> I have. Michael? I have. Yeah. Mike, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see Michael do a backflip when he hears this. Microsoft is releasing its own Linux distro. Everyone cheer. What? Uh, 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 backflip time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not joking. This is not an April Fool's prank. It is actually happening. After 43 years, this is the first time they are going to be releasing their own custom Linux kernel, which is scary for some people. Some people are really mad about this news. Some people are excited about it. But the reality is Microsoft's been involved in Linux for a lot longer than people realize and supporting yeah. and providing uh, a lot of uh, support to the Linux community, interestingly enough. And this is not a Linux, you know, variation or distro you're going to go download and run on your computer because this is mostly meant for servers as a part of their Azure Sphere cloud. Right. And I thought one of the most interesting things about this article is them admitting that Microsoft is just, OS is just plain too bloated to be able to use their own operating system. So that's why they went with Linux. They actually announced essentially like about a week, a month ago or so that they're putting Windows on the back burner entirely. So it's like it's, it used to be their main thing that they always put the most money and the most effort in. They have now not only have they said that they're not, it's not their most important thing, they've actually eliminated the entire department in the company and moved everybody who they were keeping to other pieces to work on like the, the IoT section or the cloud section and stuff like that. So the, the fact that they've put Windows on the back burner and put Linux in the front, like that, that is a, a big sign that if, if the biggest competition for the operating system also agrees that your operating system is better, that, that kind of shows a good example of, of you know, the, the argument of whether which, which, which desktop is better or not. It's Linux. We, we, we know that. So what do you say to people who make the argument that this is just another ploy for Microsoft to get closer to Linux so they can kill it? Well, I mean, they, they can't. It's impossible to kill it because the one, they don't have control and the other one, it's too big. So even even though they do have, they, they've submitted code to the kernel for years. Uh, in one case, the, a couple years, about five, six years ago, they actually had the most contributions to the kernel of everybody, like all combined in the year. So, so it, like, what level of access, Michael, do they have to the kernel? Can they p- input things in there that would be, you know, like people would say, oh, can they input spyware into the kernel? Hopefully we get Cortana in the kernel. <laughs> I'm trying to go through all of the scenarios that people would say, hey, you know, right. they're trying I mean, it's, to do It's this, a good so. question. And it, they, the answer is they have the ability to submit code to the kernel, but they have absolutely no control whether that code gets in the kernel or not. And that's one of the reasons why they're making their own custom kernel for their, like, their devices and their IoT approach and stuff, because the kernel... You can fork the kernel and put whatever you want into it, but to actually get the Linux get Linux kernel to accept that stuff, no, they're not going to do it. If 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 it's going to be any kind of, for one, they don't accept proprietary anything, 
So if they wanted to submit any kind of like abstraction layer that they're not going to get it in. So it's mainly, they have the ability to submit code and get the maintainers and then like the, the higher ups in the kernel team to look at it and consider it. And that's basically the only thing they can do. So like, as far as like putting any kind of backdoor, that's just pretty much impossible. Okay, fine, Michael, we can't get Cortana, but paperclip, tell me we can have Clippy. <laughs> I think I think it's a travesty that we currently do not. I so. forgot about Clippy until you just said it. <laughs> the only reason I have to dual boot today is for Clippy. Yeah. <laughs> is that or the only reason? Or, or, I mean, I like the wizard personally. Of you course, know, yeah. Showing magic little information things. So great. So great. Yep. No Clippy, fine. Whatever. How about then maybe we could get Clippy and Fedora 28, guys? What do you think? Well, it's a, it's a good suggestion. You should go to the bug reports and say, go to bug reports. <laughs> are, are, are you saying there's a new version of Fedora coming out? There is a new version of Fedora coming out. Fedora 28 is releasing on May 1st. So if you are sick and tired of the Ubuntu news, which if you're not an Ubuntu fan, then maybe you're looking for something else. Fedora may be up your alley and it's coming with a whole bunch of changes here. And I actually got to play with the new Fedora a little bit in a, in a virtual machine and check out some of their new changes, like their snazzy new wallpapers, although there was only two, so maybe those aren't in wow. yet. <laughs> snazzy two new wallpapers. Woo! That can be snazzy, uh, just not abundant. <laughs> I, I would say the biggest change, you know, I tried Fedora early on in my Linux life, and it wasn't for me because at, the, at that time, it's one of the distros that default to Wayland, and it didn't have an auto switcher. And I was new to Linux and I didn't understand why it wasn't working. It was just like, oh, this is junk. I'm moving on to something else. <laughs> I didn't realize even what Wayland was at that point. So I had no idea that's what was keeping it from kind of installing. Uh, but now things are quite a bit different with Fedora. They've done a lot of work on the installer to improve the experience in the installer. And if anybody has ever used the installer for Fedora, it left a lot to be desired, Michael. Yeah. Yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did. Anaconda. But, was not one that I wanted to use, yeah. and now now after this this latest one, the update they've they've uh, removed a lot of the, the annoyances that I had with the anaconda. So it's really nice to see that happening. I don't like any anacondas, so we're good. You there. don't like snakes? I don't like, like Indiana Jones nah, over there. Nah. <laughs> but we were talking about Python. It's fantastic. So yeah. Yeah, but no. <laughs> Anaconda is just too big. I, I, well, what what I love about their installer now is that it is way more. Um, I guess shrunken down in that you don't have all these options when you're first trying to install it to try to figure out before you can go to next because it's kind of confusing. It splashes up a screen and it used to have choose your hard drive, but it was just icons kind of on a screen and you had to click each one before you would get the next button. Now the user setup and things have been removed. So that kind of happens after you install it now for that setup. So things are a lot more smoother. But there was an issue I encountered that apparently nobody else has yet, which scared me to death <laughs> about it. And there was I was sitting there and I had just finished the install. And just like any distro, it asked, do you want to update it? And I'm like, sure, of course. I want the latest experience. No. So the only icon I get is update and restart. And I was like, please, no. Please, no. And, and I you click clicked it. it. <laughs> and I was like, please don't be what I think it is. And then this Windows 10-like experience happens where my entire <laughs> screen is taken over. There's a Fedora logo sitting in the middle of the screen. 
and a percentage bar at the top telling me how long my update's going to take, in which I can do nothing until I wait for the update to complete. And Did I thought, there it is, that Windows tight. 10 is that Windows being releasing their own kernel. It's caused this. This is what <laughs> has happened to Linux. That makes so much sense that it has yes. to be. Uh, they did have a little symbol that says, here's a percentage of coming. And then it, it gets to the percentage and then goes back. And then it says, please do please do not re- reboot your machine while we're doing this. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm clicking in the corners of the screen, waiting for Clippy to come up and tell me what's going on. Nothing happens. Uh, no, but eventually it finished the install and work. But what's interesting is, Rocco, you tried this and didn't have the experience. Well, I tried it in VirtualBox. And that, that's not really a big test. But I didn't have that experience. The, I installed it in VirtualBox. And the one thing I thought was hilarious was uh, when you go to install it, it gives you this message. And I can't remember verbatim what it said, but it was basically, are you really, really, really sure you want to try this test release out? Because it might break everything that you know to be real. And yes or no. (laughs) It might break reality itself. Right. Uh, But then I installed it and it didn't. One funny thing about it was it didn't ask me to reboot from the USB. So it said, okay, it's installed. And that was it. And the message went away. And I was like, should I reboot now? Or, <laughs> But I didn't have that same experience you had with this with the, the screen so, where you weren't able to do anything. So. so maybe it was just the version I had or something that was an accident that they had fixed by the time you, because I had done it a week before you uh, in the beta, something that was in the beta that maybe went away. Uh, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, it could be that. Or it may have been the fact that I installed it in VirtualBox and not on hardware. So Yeah, that could be it as well. Now, Paul in chat, Rocco, uh, did say that he thinks it's because I didn't read the manual. So thanks a lot, everyone, <laughs> for starting this whole thing of me not reading manuals. That's, that's, the, that's the best thing about live, tra- live chat and you know live streaming and everything. It's great. We're, we're going to go ahead and... Uh, I get trolled. It's great for you because I get trolled even live. I enjoy it. But speaking of manual reading, sometimes... Uh, Sometimes things could be confusing, such as Git or GitHub. So even though sometimes that you maybe you did read the manual and it's just too confusing because the the, the process itself is complicated. Mm-hmm. So GitHub has realized that and they've decided to create a new learning GitHub lab, or the GitHub Labs approach, where they're going to teach you in a a course structure and like and like kind of like a Linux Academy approach where they, they you sign up for courses and they set up repos on under your account and you go through the process of learning how to use different individual pieces of GitHub. So I think that even if you maybe maybe for some people the, the manuals aren't enough. This is a great <laughs> approach to 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 get people to learn how to use something because they're just like going through the process of teaching you. And I and Git is such a fantastic thing that you know even if you're not a developer you can still use it for a lot of cool things well github is something that i have never dove into but it always seemed to be so you know mysterious basically that mm-hmm. i i never took the time to use it i think this is an awesome idea because this is this gives people who uh you know maybe don't know exactly where to look or where to start with a repository yeah. to say, hey, this is how you start. And I am definitely going to sign up for this and try it out because I think nice. it's awesome. 
Well, I think that's what is so interesting about GitHub is I kept hearing about it as I got more and more into Linux and everyone was like, oh, go to GitHub and do this. And I remember first going to it and seeing clone download this and then you get this zip file and I'm like, what do I do with it? I don't understand. Then you've got a readme file. Are you doing a Git checkout? Are you getting the master master the master option or what? How are, well, I'm just how saying you- when I was first going to it, like it was all right. confusing to me. And then when I started my first Git page you know, everyone's like, okay, go to your terminal, type in all these commands to create a sync between this and that and blah, blah, blah. And and then I realized, oh, I can just click on the GUI because I'm not doing anything major and collaborative at the moment and upload my code right there through the GUI. And that's where I think people should start with Git. And this is kind of like where they say, you know, you got to learn the terminal to use Linux. No, you don't. Um, not anymore. You can use Linux as a GUI just like you can in Windows. There will be times where you'll get in the terminal and as you start using Linux, you will fall in love with the terminal and realize I can do things twice as fast with you know um, less effort using the terminal and that's why it's so effective. But start people out in the GUI. And if I knew that originally that you could just use Git through the GUI website, I would have used it much, much sooner in my uh, career. But now I want to learn all of the stuff within the terminal to interact with it. So this is awesome. But start with the GUI. But I think yeah, that's right. exactly what I was trying, the point I was trying to make, Ryan, where you, you start out and you start out by doing the terminal thing. And then, oh, I realized you can do that. But because there's no, for lack of a better term, there's no manual <laughs> to say, yep. Take this step, take this step, and take this well, step. Well, the, the unfortunate thing is, like, the Git is such a powerful tool that it's used in so many different ways. So, for example, you can use Git through Launchpad, Bitbucket, GitHub, and all. You know, you'd have the Git Cola, which is a, a a GUI that you would install from on your from your archive. There's there's so many different options and variables that there isn't a way to do like an upfront thing. But GitHub technically is not really a part of the Git project, but GitHub is such a big brand that it's the most known thing. So the fact that they're doing it is eliminates a lot of the entry barrier. So like, I think this is a great approach, like you're saying for the GUI part. And it also makes it like a lot easier to deal with because they have processes that are going to teach you how to use the SSH keys Mm -hmm. rather than passwords, which is much better to use the SSH keys. And then they're also going to have like teaching you the command line, but in a gradual sense. So I think that it's really good. They're going, they're going through this. Yep. But what I also think is really good, and I can't, I can't explain how important this is, but FVMPEG has released their 4.0 version, which is one of their their big. There's one of their big releases for about the last one they had was about six months ago. So there's been a ton of new things with new filters, new co- new code, new encoders, new de- decoders, demuxers, all Michael, kinds of. Huh? Why should I care? <laughs> Well, well, why you should care and why most people, you shouldn't really care about using it individually directly, but it's why it's important is that FFmpeg is like a fundamental uh, multi multimedia framework for both creating media production and consuming it. So like most players use FFmpeg to, to display the content and like all the video editors use FFmpeg to create the content. So mm-hmm. Kaden Live, when you export, it's using FFmpeg to export everything. That perked so, your ears up, didn't it? That's Marco? why I should care. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, Kaden Live, my lifeblood? Well, yes. I think I said it wrong. It, it, you, like, you said it more 
eloquently uh what's more important like why is it important right so it's 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 something that is it is a very important piece of the puzzle as far as using the linux desktop and as far as like just consuming and creating multimedia it is not something that most people will interact with whatsoever um it's just like as far as like directly because using ffmpeg directly is a massive pain even to the point where if you do read the manual you're still probably going to be lost Okay, so, so I don't have to read it anyways. <laughs> you don't have to. Well, there's there are certain pieces as you'll learn in FF, if you want to do the ffmpeg com, uh, command line stuff. You look at these different pieces and you're like, okay, I use this parameter, this value, and it does this. Oh wait, it's in the wrong order and it broke everything. Right. <sighs> so that it's that kind of thing. But ffmpeg is a very fundamental thing for Caden Live and um, it's shortcut and everything else. It's, it's so it's very important, and they're adding like the decoders and encoder stuff that they're working with right now is such a good thing that it's making it a lot easier to use these different editors and players. And one of my favorite things is that the new in, um, NVENC encoder from NVIDIA which just means NVIDIA encoder is what that those letters mean. But it, it, it's that's available by default now, which makes streaming games and stuff like that a lot easier yep. if you have NVIDIA graphics. So like just not having to deal with like recompiling FFmpeg in order to do that is fantastic. So Wait a minute. Is this going to help me in any way in watching Peppa Pig? I mean, slightly, maybe. <laughs> Good. It will no, definitely it'll, it'll definitely help you as like if you if you decide to do like a group stream of Peppa Pig and have like this nice this, <laughs> my uh, dreams can be fulfilled finally. <laughs> you guys will join that stream, right? Uh, uh, yeah, sure. Yes, <laughs> I, I will. I will <laughs> be doing backflips to do so. <laughs> Cricket. Cricket. Oh, <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Well, okay. So moving on. We have a mess of a situation with Android. I told you guys. I told you. I told you. My Android was going to be a mess. All right. So (sighs) a a low-level security, a binary level, I should say, open source security firm called uh, Insignary from South Korea is going to release a report. And how we got the information before they released it, I don't know. But we have secret contacts, yeah, Rocco. They're, yeah. they're going to release support. And what their findings are is that 20 cent, 20% of the most popular Android apps have major vulnerabilities. Who's been saying it? Who's been saying it? Who's been telling you guys, like, oh, yeah, you're on uh, iPhone and blah, blah, blah? Look. I'm on iPhone and I ain't got a 20% of my apps being vulnerable. Look, you, you just, right. You just got other issues. <laughs> yeah. Hey, my closed garden is a beautiful garden with roses and all kinds of pretty things. It's got, it's got a ton. It's got it's these beautiful roses and millions of thorns. <laughs> Shut it. All right. So 50 per, 57% of the APK files with the security vulnerabilities were ranked as a severity of high. Now, this is like really, I mean, okay, so everybody knows there's vulnerabilities. Everybody knows that, you know, it's kind of like Android is the something that you have to live with. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot you can do. It. I mean, you're either going to go with Android, or you're going to go with Apple. So there's not a whole lot of choice. Either going to be secure or not. Yeah. Yeah. But the, whatever. But these Control numbers not, yeah. are very, very upsetting of how many. Now, 
I don't know. Maybe there's another side to this uh, article and to these numbers that we're not looking at. But from the looks of these numbers, it's it's ridiculous. This is things that people have been been scared about. For instance, there are issues, potentially vulnerabilities with the fingerprint binary scanning. Yep. So now you have the thing that people didn't want to move to fingerprinting because people who were saying and everyone was like, yeah, whatever you aluminum hat wearing neck beard, <laughs> I'm still using my fingerprint scanner. Uh, they, they were worried about this, you know, as a potential security issue that what if this could be broken in? And apparently some of this uh, has to do with the fingerprint scanning, but we're not dealing with, by the way, a lot of people, a lot of times you hear these articles and it is random apps like, I don't know, uh, Peppa Pig uh, voice generator and, and little things like that. This is 700 of the most popular apps on the Google play store that right. we're talking about here that they scan for these vulnerabilities. So we're not talking some obscure app that nobody downloads. We're talking, and we don't know the names of the apps yet because that will be released in the report. Right. But the whole scan was based on the most popular apps out there with these vulnerabilities. Yeah. Un unfortunately, then this kind of a problem with like, I, I, I prefer Android over uh, Apple anyway, just in general, but you have to admit that there are problems with Android. I mean, the fact that they, you know, most app, most phones that use Android are incredibly out of date and don't even get security updates whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And there are some that do, but there's so many, like the majority of them do not. And then there's also the fact that even if they did get security updates, the kernel that is in included in Android is always out of date for a long, long time. Yep. So, like they just now recently got the 4.4 version update for like the big core platform update. And that's so much better than 3.18, but we're now on 4.16. So that's a little bit old. Just a little bit. Well, I'm going to write them the nastiest letter on my Chromebook that you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not exactly sure they, uh, what um, the the approach that this company is suggesting that they take, uh, I believe they're talking about like uh, just a major scan of all of the apps themselves. But in talking mm -hmm. to the devs, the devs that they've talked to expressed a preference, it says, for manually applying patches line by line. So I, like I said, I don't know what the outcome or the suggestions will be to say, hey, let's fix this this way, because it seems to me that if you're going to make a report and you're going to have all of these uh, numbers, you should also have a way of or solution to fix it. Well, Neil McGovern in chat said there's moves here with the Librem 5. I mean, if this isn't making you uh, think more. Mm -hmm. about that device and the importance of getting a secure device out there. I don't know what will. So yeah, secure device and real Linux. Yeah. Yep. Real yeah, Linux. I, exactly. I can't wait for that to happen. I mean, I mean we're going to have to, but I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to wait, but uh, hopefully we don't have to wait too long. That's the thing. Yep. So uh, speaking of unfortunate news from the Google side, more? Why is it always yeah. unfortunate and Google in the same sentence? I just want to know that. It's that's just that's the Google way. That's the, the Google, Google way. <laughs> yeah, so, they're just killing it. All really. right, give it to so us. Google was recently uh, accused of being having total contempt for Android users and their privacy, and it's because Google has decided to launch a new messaging service called 
the most creative name of chat. Wow. wow. That must have taken forever. Yeah. It's, Wait, it's, this is another one of the four that they already have? They're abandoning the other ones. Oh, much. okay. So Maybe. like sort the of. Android Android Allo has been has been canceled. So they're they're well they haven't officially said they're canceling it, but they have removed all of the funding and stuff and and for it. So they You guys can, enjoy those Android phones. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, so the the reason why this thing is is it's a it, yes the name is terrible it's generic and whatever but it also the, the part that's actually a problem is that they've removed the like there was end to end encryption in the other chat applications but there isn't going to be end to end encryption in this particular one and because this is becoming the forefront application it creates a lot of security and privacy problems so but was there uh, encryption in their other chat programs. Yes. Yeah. Hangouts has had encryption for a very long time. Hey, by the way, guys, after hearing this news, don't text me on my secure encrypted (laughs) iPhone because our messages won't be secure on your side. We use the all secure (laughs) Telegram chat. Okay, that's true. (laughs) Because we know that's not completely secure. secure. Yeah, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Man, the news in this episode just keeps getting more. Guys are bringing me down. So well, everybody guys, should depressed. Can we go back Signal. to the Ubuntu news? Because that was really exciting. Ubuntu's <laughs> <laughs> rule. Yeah. Signal is a really good application that's really secure. So you can just take a look at that. Uh, speaking of privacy concerns, Android Auto is uh, also having some privacy concerns because there was information provided that uh, in, they're sending that Google is sending data from Android Auto Auto to the Google services in real time as you create things based on the Android, uh, you know, Android auto applications. So it's tracking your vehicle speed, <laughs> the coolant and oil temperatures. Wow. Progressive's going to love this. Yeah. And Geico and all the insurance companies can't yeah. wait. To this. Even, even the, even the pretend, the temperature of your engine and the position of your throttle of your car is, is going to be sent to Google. So the, Obviously, that's ridiculous, but thankfully, there are some manufacturers that are not uh, participating in that ridiculous aspect, and one of them is Toyota because they've cre- they've added um, with a collaboration with other manufacturers and the Linux Foundation. They are working with the automotive-grade Linux distribution for our platform to include that in their cars instead of this terrible thing. One more reason why Linux is better. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and oh my goodness. and uh, speaking of Chromebooks, like Ryan, uh, so oh I, I had. So can we get off it. the Google News? Please? I, I had to sell my Chromebook just so everyone knows because that was what the money I used to get my new System seventy six Galago Pro. So oh, that, that is uh, good yeah. news. Uh. That, is, that is good news. And for those who still have their Chromebook, they can now have a new looking theme for some reason for some reason the google has decided to fork the adapt the theme that is very popular with like linux and gtk uh, experience well not just for some reason it's because they are going to allow native apps to run into a container with the crostini project so you know right now you have to use crouton and basically i stayed in crouton the whole time so you boot up your chromebook you have to go into developer mode you have to install crouton and then you can boot into, say, you know, Ubuntu GNOME or XFCE or some of the other variants there within Crouton. 
and run Linux applications, which kind of made the uh, the Chromebook a lot sure. more useful at that time. So what they're trying to do is they kind of realize, hey, you know, just having apps that are all 700 of them being vulnerable, just having those apps there uh, is not, you know, conducive enough, although clearly the Chromebook has dominated when it comes to schools and other things. They're making major moves there. Most yeah. uh, people... It's very cost-efficient. Yeah, Chromebooks are definitely a thing here to stay. But the really cool thing about this to me is that by allowing you to run it natively without having to go into developer mode, without having to create that security hole that putting your Chromebook in developer mode is, this allows more people to become familiar with the alternative applications out there to your standard Microsoft applications within Linux, such as things like maybe Caden Live and all that stuff. So now these kids who are all getting Chromebooks to begin with will start having the ability to download Linux applications and start using them and going, wow, this is really cool, you know, and start learning more and more about it and it'll get more people into Linux because the Chromebook's the best selling laptop on the market out there, period, right now. So it's I actually, big- I agree. I was, I was mainly saying that, that uh, for some reason, I, I'm not, I can't really, you know, place it. That's a good point. I was more in the sense of like, why would they choose to fork something and create their own theme? Because I would assume they'd want to create their own theme so they can track the way the buttons that you click, the text that you highlight, and then send it back to their servers. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. The same. Good point. Good point. Well, listen, Rocco, we've depressed you enough. We're going to move on to something. <laughs> I'm so news. sick of the, the Google news. Let's go on to something else, will you? You so know, when you. Of Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so speaking of Google. Um, you know, there are a few companies that I think you can say have really risen from the ashes like a phoenix and AMD is one of those companies that comes to mind when I think about it in recent months that have just absolutely blown people away uh, with really going after Intel and finally making a really competitive push besides just price out there against Intel who clearly is very dominant in the market. And we haven't had a new segment in a while. So to some of the individuals, this may be old news, but I think it's worth covering in that AMD has released their second generation of Ryzen CPUs. And man, they are fire, dude. (laughs) They are fire. These benchmarks coming out of these Ryzen CPUs are just incredible. So if you've already invested in the Ryzen first generation, it may not be worth an upgrade to you, which probably is good news. But if you are just getting at the point where you're ready to ditch Intel and you want to try AMD out, maybe it was with one of those vulnerabilities like Spectre or Meltdown, Right. Uh, this would be a fantastic time to jump in because we're talking Ryzen 7, 4.2 gigahertz on all cores. With the stable overclocking, you can get up to 4.35. And some people on YouTube are doing ridiculous things with these unique cooling units getting unbelievable uh, amount of overclocking on these uh, these second generation of processors out there. So, you know, I've been wanting to go to Ryzen yep. to ditch the Intel and they just keep making it more and more tempting if the Bitcoin miners would quit making this so expensive to do. Well, I just think that this is where it needs to go in order for us to advance in all of the market for Intel has to have some competition. Otherwise we're going to get the same old, same old. There's no, there's no incentive for them to give better performance or try to innovate to get better performance. So you need Mm -hmm. the AMD lines to compete with them. And 
even beat them in order for Intel to, you know, say, hey, let's move it on. Yep. This is pushing Intel. When Ryzen first released their generation one, do you remember Intel like hurried out and released, was it the i8 or i9 that barely had any differences between the previous? They just wanted to release something to be like, hey, we still exist. Intel hasn't been put in that position in a long time where they were yeah. rushing to the market. It was the i9, and, I think it did. Yeah. yeah, it was the i9. And, you know, AMD, oh, this is the other thing about it that was so awesome is if you do want to upgrade from the first generation to the second generation, they kept the socket the same. So that's nice. a very expensive thing to have the CPU and the motherboard that you have to purchase. Yep. But now that you have the socket the same, you don't have to do that additional purchase of a new motherboard. That, that is an awesome thing because that's like one of the major things of a major th- uh, thought process that you have to put into before you upgrade is because you're not just upgrading the processor. You have to upgrade everything pretty much. The base, yeah. the core components in the system, you have to upgrade in order for and it to typically, work. You have to make sure that the RAM you have is supported on that motherboard. Yep. So you might have to do that too. So it's like, very, this, very this is great news. And um, I... I've wanted AMD to, you know, change their ways for so long and now that they're actually doing it and it's been, you know, they've been doing it for a few years now, but like the, the, like I used to be a huge AMD fan and like the, the fact that we can be fans again of it, like I'm so excited for it. So yeah. my question to you, Ryan is, is yeah. this going to help you with what you're playing this week? <laughs> well, we would call it overkill for what I'm playing this week, but so into, you know, gaming, I've been playing a game called Salt and Sanctuary, which is just a really unique game out there that I stumbled upon. I don't think it was announced anywhere. It was just something I was looking through the Steam, you know, games that were available and came across it. It's based on, it's a 2D action RPG. Uh, it combines this fast, brutal kind of action as you go exploring through and the graphics Zeb will be uh, I don't think he'll make fun of me because they're not pixelated in any ways. In fact, they're beautiful, uh, absolutely beautiful graphics, and the soundtrack is just completely... I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> the soundtrack is completely enveloping. The The really unique thing about Salt and Sanctuary is I've yet to get past the first level, and I've played it for quite a while um, because there's a. have been basically jumping in and out of the game, not being able to play it for a full session because I traveled this week. And the problem with this game is it's very much like, well, it's not a problem. It's how they created it. It's very much like Dark Souls in that, you know, as you're playing through Dark Souls or one of those games, the enemies that you're going through at the beginning, they can be a little challenging, but for the most part, you're just moving through them without any problem. But then you get to a boss and prepare to die a lot. (laughs) And Salt and Sanctuary is very much like that. You're going to go through the levels. There's going to be a little bit of puzzles and things in there. But once you get to a boss, you are going to die a lot. And so you, you need to level up your character. There's tons of character traits and leveling um, skill trees and things like that for you to do. So lots of RPG elements in there. But you're going to want to spend that time building your character up before you just go straight to the boss. And it because I kept coming off and on into it, I kind of realized that in my final playthrough, getting to the boss and dying again, that, oh, I can go out and collect salt to level up my character and then not go to the boss and come back and level up because you have to be in a sanctuary to level up and then get my character strong enough to go fight that boss. So you're going to need, this is a game that you're not going to just play and kind of relax on the couch. You're going to have to use some skill and strategy out there, but love the dark fantasy 
Castlevania like feel of it. And I think people will absolutely dig it. I actually am a big fan of the games that are very frustrating and make you hate them. So um, <laughs> I am not a fan of those type of games. Let me tell you, I, I realize that's incredibly weird and then that you sh- no one should really want that. But there's a lot of like, I like games that require you to have like a lot of like levels and skill building and stuff like that. So that yeah. like, so there's two important questions. 3D, I might still do. <laughs> yeah. There's two important questions. Does it run on Linux? Yeah, man. <laughs> it runs on Linux and it runs beautiful. And how much is it? It is about 19 squids. 19 squids. So there you go, Zeb. You can you can <laughs> work that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another game that has come out and it is not uh, brand new this week, but uh, it's something that we definitely got to cover, and that is Rise of the Tomb Raider. Yeah. It is out for Linux. So obviously the game released you know, a while ago, but it is finally out for Linux, and I have installed it and started playing it because I might have you know, been on another operating system at some time, been playing Rise of the Tomb Raider. Um, oh, really? But now I can play it on Linux, so I don't have to go anywhere else. Uh, you just got to make sure that when you go to play it, that you have the proper driver installed and the requirements are on the feral page. They're on the steam page. Um, because I have saw on Twitter that there is, um, some issues if you don't have the right driver installed. So, um, I definitely, uh, think you should give rise of the tomb Raider a, a, a try because the graphics are uncre- incredible. I mean, they are. The, it's one of those movie story type yeah. uh, games where you have a lot of cutscenes, and it just like envelops you like into the story itself. And then you go and you have obviously have challenges, and it's a lot of uh, search and adventure type. You know, finding documents, you know, reading hieroglyphics and and stuff like that. And it is an amazing game to play. Yeah. What do you guys think? I ha- I definitely want to give it a shot. Uh, the previous one they released in like a few years ago, like th- that was such a fun game. Like if if it's any if it's better than that, then I'm definitely gonna check it out. Yeah, I mean, I just want to take time to thank Farrell and of course the developers they worked with Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix to bring this to Linux. Yep. Number one, because you know having these AAA games on here, this is a big deal. I know some people are like, well, I'm not a gamer, I don't care about that. I just do development in Linux and that type of thing. Well, it keeps a lot of people has kept in the past a lot of people from coming to Linux. Now we're getting all these AAA games and they're running. When Farrell's doing their work here, they're really focused on making sure the performance is very similar. And some of the benchmarks that I've seen out there on cards like the NVIDIA 980 Ti have showing that, you know, both the Windows platform and the Linux platform are averaging well over 100 frames per second. So now you have this neck and neck comparison. Uh, between them, which is just, it's fantastic that we can enjoy the same games. You're starting to be able to enjoy the same games that you can on other platforms. Yep. This is definitely a AAA game. And I, I mean, I may not be the best example because I do have a, a 1080 GTX, a GTX 1080. So yeah. I have it on the ultimate settings and it runs butter smooth. I mean, it is nice. just runs through everything in it and the graphics are amazing. So. Yep. Definitely check it out if you have so it. I'll, I have a pretty old GPU. It's a 760. So I guess I'm going to have to uh, try it out and uh, put it on ultimate settings, you know, for science. 
or science. <laughs> <laughs> well, a game you might be able to run a little more smooth with that setup there, uh, Michael, is Strafe Millennium Edition, which is now out for Linux as well. And this game is one of those, again, that Zeb will make fun of me for probably. But, uh, you know, this is an older Most game likely. that they pre released. Most likely. Probably already <laughs> has somewhere in chat. Um, but if you played Unreal Tournament, if you're into those style of games, then you're going to like Strafe because Strafe is very much reminds me when I was watching the videos here of Unreal Tournament, that fast, super fast um, first person shooter out there. And they have some new things that they've added. Of course, it's run 64 bit now. So you have that performance enhancement. You have four unique zones now that you can play. You have gun upgrades, 30 insane weapons, 20 bloodthirsty enemies now coming at you. And that amazing Zeb, listen up. This is what you're going to love. Oh, 1996 soundtrack that you can listen to out there. So, so the 99, is it 96 soundtrack in the sense of music released in the time or like MIDI style 96? Uh, I wouldn't say it's MIDI style 96. I would say if you remember that time, this is when Alanis Morissette had just come out with their hit, <laughs> Isn't It Ironic? Uh, they, this is the time where music really excelled and was at its greatest form. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's not totally MIDI, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a semi-charmed kind of game. There you go. Semi-charmed kind of game. That's the way to look at it. But if you like those type of first-person quick action shooters and you have some nostalgia for that time period, you're a huge Alanis Morissette fan, this is your game. There you go, Michael. There's your game. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's a little ironic. <laughs> In the exact same way the song is. Not at all. So um, so let's, let's go back to some more... Um, some, this is a hack that is gaming related and a good thing technically. Well, I mean, not good for Nintendo, but that's okay. Uh, so there was a published a hack that was an expo exploit chain for the NVIDIA Tegra X1 uh, systems. And the, the Nintendo Switch is, one, is a NVIDIA Tegra X1 based system. Mm -hmm. So they've been, you've been seeing people have uh, re releasing things on Twitter showing that they've been hacking the Nintendo Switch, putting different versions of Linux on it and stuff like that. And it's seeming to be that the, one of the first claims whoever did it said it was unpatchable and that there is no way Nintendo could fix it. It yeah. turns out that that's, it, that might be true because there's a lot more hacks now coming. And one of the things recently is that on a forum, someone posted a Ubuntu Touch, not Ubuntu Touch, sorry, Ubuntu 1804 has already been ported to the Nintendo Switch. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, so it is, it is I, I actually, I have no intention of getting a Switch because I don't, I don't really want to play handheld games or anything like that. So, but now that it's, it's, it actually is a decent tablet. So, yeah. Is there any uh, uh, source on why it would be unpatchable? I mean, at some point. It's just the, the 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 fact that it's a hardware exploit rather than a like a, a software fix because it's 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 a flaw in the 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 structure of the Teg the Tegra X1 system uh, that it, it allows them to kind of like just run any kind of code that creates an exploit so that once you get once you pass the exploit and execute it you've broken through that process that process and they can't they can't send a software update to to fix it because it is a part of the hardware itself. So like that's, that's why they're claiming it's unpatchable. 
it's probably patchable by NVIDIA, but once you already have the machine, right. they could change it. So like if there's a Nintendo Switch Plus, they might fix it then. Okay. But it's really, it's really cool to see all the different changes. And there's I saw one is they had uh, Arch using Plasma running on the Switch, Ubuntu Touch recently on the Switch. And there's actually, speaking of um, you know, the, the open source aspect and GitHub, the Ubuntu... Uh, Ubuntu eighteen oh four on the Switch is available on GitHub, so you can if you have a Switch, so play cool. with it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. The other th- cool thing that you can do out there is create, you know, all this hacking going on is do some hacking to create yourself a Twitchomatic Raspberry Pi. What? And what? yeah, you yeah. want a Twitchomatic? Uh, Everybody wants a Twitchomatic. I mean, this is the generation for the Omatics, so let's talk about it. <laughs> Is it? Wasn't that uh, like the the uh, Jetsons? Manic. I think that was. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the Distromatic twi- now. <laughs> Distromatic. There you go. You know, the Twitchomatic is just another project you can do with your Raspberry Pi. Now, you guys saw the pictures and the video I did on moving, taking the Raspberry Pi and putting it into my Honda and making yep. Linux run on my car, and just so many unique things you can do with the Raspberry Pi, and they're so cheap to pick up. But if you're looking for another project and you stream to Twitch, which now we do on Destination Linux, right? This is <laughs> what we not need just now. Twitch, Rocco. We are also a podcast that you get every Friday. Will we still get it? Yes, you will still get it, Rocco. What about the video? You still get it, Rocco. <laughs> are you sure? It's available on YouTube. <laughs> I'm positive. <laughs> and now you can hit the Twitchomatic button and automatically stream to Twitch. So it's just, you know, setting all this stuff up. You went through this today for our first time being on Twitch. It takes a lot to set all these different things up and then eventually get it to work. Well, you could have a Raspberry Pi that you just click a button and boom, it's going to start your streaming service using Raspbian and Raspivid. Raspivid? Raspivid. I'd go with Raspivid. <laughs> which will allow you basically to make this little project that'll allow you to have an instant streaming button. So when you're ready to stream, you hit the button, you already stop, you unclick it. That's kind of nice. That's pretty cool, man. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, and, and you can connect everything up to here. Now, I, I did this uh, with an Intensity Pro 4K in Linux. You can stream your Nintendo Switch. You can stream your PlayStation or whatever to Twitch. But this, you can connect those devices into this Raspberry Pi uh, for streaming as well. So it creates kind of an interface there, which is just really cool stuff they're doing with Raspberry Pi. They're doing awesome stuff with Raspberry Pi constantly. So this is just yet another project you could play with here. Very nice. Well, that's all the news we got on this Ubuntu week of news. You guys got anything else? Nope. Just check out the the latest uh, releases of Ubuntu and let us and let's the way you, let us know what you think in the comments because I would I'd love to know get your feedback. Yep, because everybody's got a different take on uh, on the Ubuntu's and each different flavor and on each different hardware too. Uh, I can try something, Ryan, and you can try something, and it works yep. completely different. Yep. So it's it's definitely give them a try, all of the flavors, and you know report any bugs that you see. And let us know. Email us. And uh, take take Ryan's example of uh, reading the manual and everything. No, right? Don't read the manual. It's not manly. <laughs> Look, here's the thing, too, I want to mention. We're trying something new here, extending to Twitch platform. You mm-hmm. will still get it on YouTube. You will still get your podcast. But we're trying something new here. We would love to hear your feedback. If you want to email us at comments at Destination Linux, we would love to hear, do you like it? Do you hate it? 
what should we change about it? And if you can make it productive in your feedback would be helpful. Um, if you want to call Michael names, you can do that at the end of the email. Uh, but we'd fine. love to get PS. your feedback on <laughs> if you guys like this format and what your thoughts are on it. Yep. We definitely are, are looking for not only feedback on Ubuntu's, but definitely on the show and what you like about it and what might we change to better suit everybody involved. And one thing we didn't cover is we really always want to thank our patrons for all the fantastic support that they give us. But you guys do have a perk in that when this show goes off from live, mm -hmm. you will still be able to go back and watch that live show. Everyone else yeah. will get the edited version that comes out on Friday. Friday. Yep. So we'll get the will, edited you, version too. But <laughs> yeah, you will get that version too. Everyone, everyone will get the edited version. Um, so I want to make sure that you guys see as well that it's actually uh, better in a sense because like previously there was a live aspect they couldn't rewatch, but now they they have the ability to watch it if like all the patrons have the ability to watch it anytime. Yeah. So Fire. if you miss the live stream on Sundays that we're recording now, you can watch the live stream on Monday through the link that you'll be getting. So, yep. And you guys can still join us, the patrons on the Telegram. Uh, group that we or the zoom i'm sorry zoom meeting when we're doing these live ones so you kind of have a more uh direct connection to us there as well so we we want to get your feedback as well make sure if you have ideas on additional things we could do for the patrons we're always open to that yep and if you want to give us a rating on your favorite podcast app we would love that and it would be much appreciated so everybody have a great week and remember the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Did it? Uh oh! Report a problem. Eighteen oh four is experiencing internal error. <laughs> Already? Perfect. Great timing. Oh <clears throat> my gosh! That never happens. No. Only in real life it happens. He's starting in a minute. Or maybe. We'll use we'll use Michael's minute terms. Hey. Well, yeah. That's fair, but hey, <laughs> we'll be starting soon. <laughs> The good news is how organized we are. That's right. Are you guys ready? Absolutely. I was born ready. Wow, that confidence. Yeah. yeah. And cliches. I like cliches, too. All right, you let me know when you guys are ready. We'll do it. Well, Michael's born ready, so it's pretty much just me. Yeah, always. Well, you let me know, Ryan, when you're ready, because we're all counting on you to be ready. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, not yet. <laughs> now okay you're ready now <laughs> good thing this show is so organized <laughs> so hold on a second <laughs> wow really no i'm just messing with you oh, okay. rocco about his his um uh cdo for perfection yeah his his cdo which is ocd in alphabetical order <laughs> uh, i love it <laughs> Rocco, did you see you ran the intro yeah, twice? Yeah, I did. Well, what I did was there's a in, in OBS, there's you put the stinger in and then there is the transition button 
And then there's the quick transitions. Well, I hit the transition rather than the... Thank goodness it was just while Michael was talking. Do you see the part where someone said, are we changing the name of the podcast? Yeah, I saw it. That was a troll. It was a joke because there's a typo on the overlay. Destination. Oh. The eyes. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what happens when you go fast and that's you don't it. have it well, look, done. We were trying to be, Michael, that was intentional. We're trying to reach the younger right. kids as well, and they like slang. So we're right. doing destinating Linux. Let me we're see destinating. Here. Yeah, that's I believe right. in AF. We be, we be happening. We be happening on our destinating. Yep. Truly, we need Absolutely. that honest feedback because we want to make sure we're sticking to the, the program. And we got to keep Zeb on his toes. Right. Zeb is really the biggest Absolutely. problem. He is. I'm glad oh, he's yeah. not here right now because he is such an issue can, sometimes. He, he's, his attitude is out of control. The constant threats with the bat. I mean, uh, right? dude, he, did he sh- even showed the baton he was going to beat you with? <laughs> I know. I went to Destination Linux HR and complained about it. <laughs> I, t- I told I told him to read the manual. Are <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, we gonna start that today? They right can't. off the bat, bam in your face. They, they- Rocco's been blown away by it this morning. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> that is very true. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's amazed by our our production. <laughs>